All right. Good evening, guys. How we doing? Doing all right? All right. Here we go. Like Oakley said, this is our last uh, night in our Take Heart series. I'm really excited for it. Um, so I wanted to ask you a question to kind of get us going tonight. I want you to get thinking. And, and here's the question. Have you ever, as an adult, felt homesick? All right, so let me, let me tell you what I mean by this. Like, have you, maybe have you ever gone on a vacation? You're like, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to be on this vacation. I need a break. I deserve it. Treat yourself. Let's go. And then, like, there's a certain point in that vacation where you're like, you know, I'm kind of ready to be home. That is adult homesickness. We're like, man, I'm ready to sleep in my own bed. I'm ready to eat my own food. I'm ready to be in my place again. You know, that homesickness is just something that maybe we think we grow out of, but we get little glimpses of it like that in our life. Maybe sometimes it's around Christmas or Thanksgiving. It's that idea like, man, I just want to be home. I just want to go where it's familiar and I feel secure and I feel known, that kind of thing. Well, when I was in college, I, like I've told you many times, I worked at a summer camp. And so I got to know homesickness really, really well. Not my own homesickness. I was good. But the seven to 11-year-olds in my cabin struggled with this. Because for many of them, this is a two-week camp. Can you imagine being seven years old and gone for two weeks? They would come to camp and they're all fired up and then that first night hits and mommy's not there. And it's just these two college guys that have never done this before. And we're like, what's happening? What is leaking out of your face? Like, what's going on? Like, it was, it was a, I mean, talk about a just trial by fire. And what I learned over my years as a camp counselor is that homesickness is real, that it has a both psychological, physical, and emotional toll on us. Like I saw tears, I saw anger, I saw being, like they would get paralyzed, they wouldn't want to move. I had this one kid, I kid you not, I mean bless this mother's heart, she was trying to do her best, um, but they send the kids with this like trunk right? Like you open the, the lid. Inside the lid was a collage of pictures of mom and the dog and the grandparents. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We came back from lunch and he sat down on his, on his bunk, opened that thing up, sat there and cried for an hour during rest time, just crying. And I'm like, can we just please shut? He's like, no. You know, like it was, it was rough. Like I really wanted to take all the pictures and throw them away. But Mom was doing her best. Like, don't, don't forget mom and dad, right? But, it, but it, it, it just, it ripped him apart. He was anxious and he was worried and he was just, he just could not engage and enjoy what his parents had sent him to camp to do. And as I was thinking about this message tonight, this is the, this is the word homesick just kept, kept coming back to my mind. Because when I look at the world that we live in, I just can't help but see that the world we live in is just homesick. And what our world is trying to do is find home. They're trying to find that security and that joy and that purpose and that identity that they know is out there, but they just can't get home. And so they try everything. And everything that is offered is just temporary. It's just a quick fix to make us feel a little bit better, maybe like we're, we're getting a taste of, of home. And this makes a lot of sense to me because we're not at home. 
We were created, you were created for life with God. Uninterrupted life with God. That is home. And because sin has entered the world, now we are, along with all of humanity, homesick. We have a longing for something that we know is there and we're trying to find it. Even as believers, as citizens of heaven, it makes sense that we still feel a little homesick. Let me read you uh, Jesus' words in, uh, let's see, what, what is it? In John 15, 19 through 20. Jesus says this, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to this world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. King Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3 says the same thing. In, in verse 11, Solomon says, God has set eternity in the hearts of man, humanity. We have this innate longing inside of us for something eternal. And so it makes sense that everyone is homesick. And even as believers, Jesus said, you are not of this world. I have taken you out. You are now a citizen of my kingdom. And so there's this weird truth that we, we experience, all right? It's this idea that we live in the already but not yet kind of world as Christians. As followers of Jesus, we are already children and citizens of heaven, but we are not yet there. Let me bring it back to the, the camp analogy. This will break down at some point, but go with me here. Is every camper at camp has a home. They already have a home back where they go, but they are not yet back home. They are at camp. And we live in that same reality that we are living this life. Your young adult life is ready to go and it's happening right now. It's already happening, but not yet. We are not with the Lord yet. And so then the question to my mind comes is, what do we do with our homesickness? How do we live, how do we take heart while living in the not yet Because just like those parents that drop their kids off at camp, there's no intention. I drop my kids off at camp every summer, and I have no intention that they go there and they just sit and wait to come home. That's not why I send my kids to camp. I send my kids to camp because I want them to have a great time. I want them to do the zip line and go swimming and go on the blob and do all the things that are fun, meet new people, have fun. Like just engage and enjoy the gift. And similarly, God has not saved you just so someday you will be with him. He has saved you that you may have life and life to the full now. And so we can take heart, even though the world that we live in is growing in their, in their anger and visceral nature towards Christians, because we are citizens of heaven. And this world will reject us, and that is okay. That's why Jesus said, our theme verse for this, this whole series, John 16, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, home. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The funny thing is, is there's a key to homesickness that I learned. It's a delicate balance 
when you're dealing with homesickness. The delicate balance is keeping home in view without allowing it to paralyze you from being engaged in the now. And so this idea of we live in the already but not yet, how do we as Christians live in view of heaven, that that is the reality of life, that one day we will be with God and not waste this? It's a delicate balance. That we would stay busy doing what God has got us to do without losing focus on where he has us to be. And so I want to look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you grew up in church, you probably know this passage. You've probably heard it. It's called the Great Commission. And so what I want to look at is this is one of the last things that Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves. And I'm thinking, like, this is like Jesus dropping the disciples off at camp. These are his last, like, hey, this is what you're going to do. All right, go, go get it, man. All right, so here's what Jesus says. He says, then Jesus came and, then, uh, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am, I am with you always to the very end of the age. My first point tonight is that we take heart in the not yet because God has got this and he is with you. He's got this. And he's with you. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's got it. I know life can feel like he's got nothing and that you gotta grab it and control it and manipulate it and move it. I'm telling you, Jesus tells us over and over and over, I've got this. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. We learn in, 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 in this, this already not yet world, what we learn is that when we feel that homesickness, the symptoms of homesickness, that could be anxiety, worry, fear, it could be all kinds of things. But those happen to us because we are looking within ourselves for the peace or around ourselves for the peace. And Jesus says, no, no, I have come to give you my peace. I have all authority. So what we need to do as believers, as followers of Jesus, is instead of looking within and looking out, we need to look up for our help, for our hope, and for our purpose. Psalm 121 is, is a famous psalm. It says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Not you in a better situation or you in a different situation. That is not your peace. That is not your hope. That's not your help. Your help comes from the Lord alone. It doesn't come in political figures. It doesn't come in political power. It doesn't come in more money or a, or a raise or a promotion. It comes in Jesus. So we need to have our eyes up. When I was a former, I, I am a former athlete, okay? Like former, former, former athlete. Every year I get farther away from that athlete mode. But I played a couple sports. One was soccer and one was basketball. And one of the things that both coaches in both sports would always tell me is when you dribble, keep your eyes up. When you dribble, you gotta keep your eyes up. You can't just be like this. 
Like that is, that is unhelpful to you and to your entire team and you will lose. You need to dribble like this, looking and saying, all right, who's open, what's going on, so that you are aware of what God's doing around you. And what we do is we start to believe that all authority in heaven and on earth is on our shoulders. And we have to micromanage everything. We gotta be super careful. Instead of saying, I'm gonna look at you, Lord, I'm gonna have my eyes up, so I am ready and able to move at your direction. Because he has got all authority in heaven and on earth. Not only that, one of the greatest themes in all of scripture from beginning to end is this idea that he is with you. In Joshua chapter one, when Moses has died, and now Joshua is, is the, the, the leader of the Israelites, and they are going to go into the promised land. This is what God tells Joshua in, in verse nine. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And in Isaiah 41, God tells the Israelites again, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Matthew 28 that we just read, he says, I am with you always till the very end of the age. In John chapter 15, he says, I will send an advocate for you that you will not be alone and he will be with you wherever you go. And so not only has Jesus said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says, I will be with you. You are not alone as a citizen of heaven. We live too often like we are alone and it's all up to us. When God says, no, 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 I am with you. And because of this truth that he is with you, we as, as believers, as followers and disciples of Jesus, and I, and I, man, I love this, I, this you are free to live with a deep, optimistic confidence about life. Let me say that again. You as a believer, because God is with you, and he has promised that he will work all things out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, you can live every day with an optimistic confidence that God is with you, and he is not going to abandon you. So what are you afraid of? A situation, he can handle it. He'll turn it for your good. A rejection, okay, he'll use it for your protection. He is with you. And so we can live in this, this, this already but not yet kind of world because he is over all things. And so what do we do with this? We live with our eyes up. Live with our eyes up. When you feel that homesickness come over you, when your stomach literally gets physically upset because of a situation or a scenario or a wish that has not happened or a dream that seems to be dying, when, when those fears and those worries come in, don't look down, look up. The world says that your truth, that your happiness and your peace and your rest is actually in, within you. It is not. It's not. I'm sorry for the bad news. It is not. As, as, as an older guy in the room, okay, I'm the oldest guy in the room, it's, that used to tick me off because I wanted to be able to produce my own peace and my own rest and my own joy. 
But the older I get and the more I know who I am and what I am incapable of doing, it is a great comfort to me that I can stop wrestling and trying to force peace into my life and say, God, I need you. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And so I take my gaze off of my own self and I lift my eyes up. Back to Matthew 28, verse 20, it says, then Jesus came and them, uh, to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So my second point tonight is we can take heart in the not yet because you were made for this moment. You were made for this. Like when I drop my kids off at camp, like I can literally turn to them and be like, I know you. And through those gates right there, you were made for this. Get out of my car. <laughs> Go have the time of your life. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. All authority has been given to me. I will be with you, therefore go. Go live it. Go do the very thing that I've been teaching and equipping and training you to do. You see, God is not asleep at the wheel, people. He is not unaware of you. He's not unaware of, your, of how you're wired. He's not unaware of your situation in life. In Psalm 139, it says that he knits you together inside your mother's womb. He saw your unformed being, which tells me that he put you together knowing the life you would have. You're made for this. God is not unaware of the, the chaos of our world. He is not unaware of the evil in this world. He is not unaware of the manipulative, untrustworthy powers that, that we live with in this world. He's, he's not sitting here being like, man, I wish I would have had the A-team for 2024, but here we've got these people. That's not how God thinks. That's not how God works. He says, you are his plan A. You are the generation for, for, the, for this year, for 2024. You, your friends your family, the people sitting next to you. You were made for this moment. So why in the world will we shy away from it? When he says, I am with you always, till the very end of the age. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that God is faithful to his promises, that he will be with you, and he will work all things out for your good that he might use that to make you more like Jesus, but he is not obligated to fulfill your potential. He will be faithful to keep his promises, but he is not obligated to make sure you reach your full potential. Here's what I mean by that. When I read Paul, the letters of the New Testament, I see Paul talking like, I am going to strive, and I'm going to press on to reach the goal for which I have been called. Yet, he can rest in the sovereignty and goodness of God. There's a term that I've learned recently. Um, it's called weaponized incompetence. Do you guys know this term? Okay, let me give you an example. A lot of, like in the husband circles, 
Um, this, this would be called the first time your new wife asks you to help with the laundry, screw it up super bad so that she will never ask you to do the laundry again. It's weaponized incompetence. It's, in, it's in, be incompetent on purpose so that there's no more responsibility laid on our shoulders. And if this is not my faith growing up, I don't know what is. God, I don't want to do that. I'm not good at that, but you are sovereign and you are in control, so you'll take care of it. I weaponize God's sovereignty against himself. That is not biblical. Or I I would say, well, I'm gonna go ahead and do this. God will forgive me. And I weaponize his grace against himself. No, we don't see that. Paul says, whatever is earthly in you, put it to death, mortify it. And so Paul holds this tension of God is, he is sovereign over all things and he is good and he is able, but I am going to press on for the goal for which I have been called. I'm going to take up the mantle of Christianity. I'm going to be an ambassador for Christ and I'm going to strive and mature and grow in my knowledge and obedience of him. We're called to fan into flame the gifts God's given you because you were made for this. You were made for this life with Christ. And so because you were, he tells his disciples who told their disciples, who told their disciples, who ends up in this room right here in Oklahoma City in 2024. He says, therefore, go because you were made for this. And keep in mind, who is Jesus talking to in Matthew 28? He's talking to fishermen. He's talking to regular dudes. And he says, you, go. And all he's saying is, go make disciples. Go make more people like you. Learners, students of Jesus. Like, as you become a, a, a student of Jesus, make, help other people become students of Jesus. There is no end date to being a student of Jesus. I meet with, with older men in our church just for encouragement and wisdom, and they are still growing and being disciples of Jesus, learning new things. That's what I love about our faith in Christ. There is no end date where I'm like, okay, I'm done growing. No, it's a constant journey of growing and knowing Jesus and becoming more like him and more like him. It's like Jesus, like I said, is dropping us off and saying, all right, time to go. Go therefore, and what does he say? Go make disciples. Baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded you to do. And what did Jesus teach about? He taught about the kingdom of heaven and what life looks like in his kingdom. He taught how to treat people and how he fulfilled all scripture. He taught them the royal law of love, that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In Acts 10, 37, I love this from the apostle Peter. He says, you know the events that took place throughout all of Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached in verse 38 says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. You see, being, making disciples is not just about Bible study in a classroom and it's about pushing back evil and releasing captives from evil tyranny. That's what Jesus did all the stinking time. 
They didn't just sit in a circle and get, get focused on themselves and their personal growth. No, they were walking from town to town, making disciples and healing people and casting out demons and pushing back the gates of hell. That's what Jesus taught. And he tells his disciples, you and me both, now go. Do likewise. You're a learner. You're a student of myself. Go make more learners and more students. Because the same God and the same spirit that Jesus had is the same spirit and the same God that we have. And so what are we waiting for? What are we afraid of? For he is with us till the end of the age. Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes this, for we are God's handiwork. You were made for this. You're his handiwork. He made you. And it says, created in Christ to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. The first sport my kids play is t-ball. You know why they play t-ball? Because there's a T, and you put a ball on it, and it stays still. And all you do is tell the kid, all right, go up there. Swing away, dude. It's ready for you. That's Jesus. He, you are his handiwork. He has made you for this. And he has put T-balls all over your life. And he says, just swing. I made you for this. Just swing. Just, just, just take a cut. And we're afraid we're going to miss. Who do we think we are? That we are capable of screwing up God's faithfulness. That he has set it up on a T for us. Swing away. We just sang a song. He has good plans for you. One of the greatest regrets of my life is looking back and thinking, how many t-balls did I miss because I didn't even swing? Because I was afraid that someone might think something weird of me, that I might do it wrong. Well, Paul says in Ephesians, you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Swing away. Start asking God to show you the T-ball. God, show me what, what you set up for me. Start praying, God, would you give me the courage, help me to take heart to swing away. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the eternal soul, so what do we do? We just pray and we take a swing. That's what we do. We just constantly pray and take a swing, pray and take a swing. One more time, Matthew 28, verse 20. This is, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. My last point tonight is that take heart, we can take heart because we're in this together. God's got this, you were made for this and we're in it together. You are not alone as a follower of Jesus. Again, who is Jesus talking to? A group of disciples, a group of men who are in this together. And he says, now go.
go together. When he would send his disciples, he never sent them alone. He sent them in pairs because they're not alone. You were in this together. That's why it's so important as believers to be sharing what God's doing in our life. There's nothing better in my week than singing praise music on Tuesday nights because when you sing, it encourages my old man heart. I get excited about what God's doing in this generation because I hear you. I see your hands of praise and worship, lifted in worship. And it encourages me, and I guarantee you it encourages the person next to you and the person behind you and the person in front of you who hears your, ter your terrible pitch. But you know what? No one cares. So can we stop worshiping like everyone's judging us? You don't do that at an OU game. You don't do that at an OSU game. You don't do it at a Thunder game. You go nuts. So why would we not worship together? Because we're in it together. It's not just your faith. It's our faith. Jesus is talking to the disciples as a group. I love Acts 18, verses 9, 10, and 11. It says, the Lord told the apostle Paul in a, in a vision, do not be afraid, but keep on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. Think about that. He says, you need to go. Don't stop preaching. Don't stop loving people. Don't stop talking about Jesus because I have people in this city that are ready for it. He stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. You see, living by faith can be hard. It will be hard. No doubt about it. And when we start thinking just about ourselves and how hard we have it, and we just start dribbling just in ourselves, and we don't have our eyes up, we're just like right here, it's really easy to turn inside and be like, oh God, you're, you're letting me down, and I'm all alone, and you don't see me, and you don't understand me, versus hey, we're in this together, let's lift our eyes together so we can encourage one another because we know it is going to be hard. That's why the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, he says this, it says, and let us consider how we may spur or encourage one another on towards what? Love and good deeds that he has set up in advance for you to do, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He says, we gotta do this together. We gotta spur one another on because the good works are tough. And maybe they're hard to see and we're gonna need someone to pick us up and keep us going. So what do we do with that? We simply remember that we are not alone. You are not alone. Not only is God with you, not only is his spirit dwelling within you as a believer, he has given you his people. That's why we do this every week. Because we know we need the encouragement, we need the support, we need to get to lock arms to push against the darkness of this world. And so we take courage in review in the not yet world that we live in because God has got this and he is with you. Because you were actually made for this moment. 
Not in five years, not in 10 years. You were made for this moment. The people around you now. And we can take courage and take heart because we're in this together. So what do we do with this? I'm just gonna repeat what I already told you. First, we live with our eyes up, keeping eternity in view while we get busy doing what God has called us to live out. We know that we have a home that we will be, be in, in one day. Like Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Your home is in the Lord. So we lift our eyes, keeping eternity in view. Secondly, take a stinking swing off the tee. Like it is set up for you. He has got it ready. Pray about it. Say, God, help me see it. And then help me take the swing. Last week, Oakley talked about a swing that she took at Cracker Barrel with a homeless person. She felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, that's the tea I set up for you. You're my handiwork. This is what I, go back. And she did. And we heard that story last week. That's you. There are little tea balls set up all over your life every day, wherever you go. So let's pray. God, help me see it. And then take a swing because God has gone before you. And lastly, remember that you are not alone. We, we mean it. We want this to be a place where you belong, where you are known, and where then you can become like Jesus, a disciple. You don't have to do this alone. You can choose. I mean, you can. But you're not alone. God is with you. His spirit is with you. His people are around you. So yes, we are homesick. We have anxious thoughts. Our hearts can raise, our stomachs can get upset. Tears will come. That's humanity. Because we were meant to be at home with the Lord and sin has separated us from him. And so we're not home, not yet. But our home will one day, I've read it a million times, I'll say it again in Revelation 21. It says, the Lord Jesus says, I will finally be with my people and I will be their God and they will be with me. At the end of time, we will be home. But in the not yet, we may take heart. We can live with courage. We can take heart because we serve a God of infinite riches and knowledge, like we talked about week one. We can take heart because we live for a God who has fought for us, is fighting for you right now, and will return for you. So take heart. We can take heart because we're invited into a bigger story than you could possibly imagine. That God is doing more than you could possibly think. And he's invited you into that story. And so we know the author and we know that he is good and we know that he is sovereign and all power in heaven and earth has been given to him. So take heart. And finally, Christ himself we do not worship a dead savior. <laughs> he is alive and he is coming back. And so we take heart that we're not just going through the motions of some dead religion. No, Jesus defeated death. And he says, now walk with me. 
and I will show you what life and life to the full is really about. Every invitation Jesus gives is just to himself. He says, come to me. He says, follow me. And he says, now remain in me. Because in Jesus, you are home. It is the relationship you were made for. And so maybe tonight for the first time, somebody needs to come home. You need to come back to the Lord. Because that's where your heart will find rest and peace and joy and purpose and identity. Man, this is a great time to be a Christian. You may think, man, it's a terrible time to be a Christian. Andy, what are you talking about? It is a great time to be a Christian. And here's why. Our faith began when Christians were on the margins of society. It started with one little ragtag group of 12 dudes. And for the next couple hundred years, they were persecuted and killed in the Colosseum. But the faith of Jesus Christ just exploded. It is a great time to be a Christian. Because you have the hope of the world. You have the key to the home that they are sick for. They're chasing all kinds of stuff to, to fix that homesickness. You have the key. His name is Jesus. So take heart. He is with you. And he's called you to go. Make disciples. Be my ambassador. Be that lighthouse of hope for all those ships that are just beaten, being beaten by the sea. We live in a world that's homesick. We're gonna go in 120 seconds. We're gonna leave these on the screen. Would you just spend this time praying those things? God, would you help me see you and what you're doing? God, would you help me see the swing that I need to take? And God, would you help me step into the community and family of faith so that I can actually do this? Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. And Jesus, man, thank you for Matthew 28, verse 20. Thank you that you have not left us alone, that you invite us in, and then you send us out. So God, would you give us courage that only comes from you? We don't need liquid courage. We need Jesus' courage. So God, would you strengthen us that we might take the gospel to this city and that eternities will be changed and this city will be changed for you. In your son's name, amen.